welcome to another episode of Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, four games at a time. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them, and that is pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And uh, we got some more games today. We got we got more baseball. We got more golf. Uh, these these keep coming in pairs, it seems. Yeah, we got more baseball. We got more golf. Uh, we got another kind of ball that we're going to talk about today as well. Uh, very different kind. It's, it's It sure is some games. I'll say that. Yeah, it, it sure is some games. We're going to have a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, and some things in between. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know if I'd say bad necessarily. Yeah, but, I don't think know. any of the stuff we're talking about today really qualifies as bad. But so, some of it gets really darn close. Though. Some of it gets real close, and we will talk about that. But first, we have a, a slightly delayed check-in with our good friend Newsy because we are in March of 1992. Uh, we technically got into March. Uh, at the very end of the last episode, but Pit Fighter was so bad. That... We, we don't, we don't, we don't say its name anymore. We just say the bad one, the bad one. Now it's the bad one. It's the bad one. All right. Well, yeah. So uh, let's kick it over to Newsy really quick. It's March 1992. Basic Instinct grosses over 117 million at the box office. Vanessa Williams, save the best for last, grabs the top spot of Billboard's Hot 100 away from Mr. Big and keeps the spot for herself for five weeks. And in South Africa, a referendum limited to white South African voters regarding a new constitution passes by a wide margin, a decision that would lead to the end of apartheid in the country. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steambunk Link. All right, thank you very much, Newsy. And uh, wow, March was a pretty eventful month in, in 1990. It seems for the world, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not necessarily so much for American pop culture, from the looks of it. Hey, now Vanessa Williams "Save the Best for Last" is a fine song. It is fine. Uh, Basic Instinct, I would say, not so fine of a movie, but you know, definitely pretty iconic. I mean, people made jokes about it for a full decade after that, and then I think they made a bad sequel to it that just had Sharon Stone in it, and. That that's that was it, kinda. I don't know much about that movie, like at all, um, other than Sharon Stone, and I'm even forgetting right now who the other lead yeah, was. Yeah, um, you know, I have to admit, I don't remember either. I think maybe Michael Douglas was in that one. That sounds right. Yeah, uh, it was. It was one of the prototypical uh, like '90s erotic thrillers. You know, which is a genre that kind of doesn't exist anymore. Well, because it's not the 90s anymore. But. Well, yes, but but yeah. Nobody's getting sexy with koosh balls anymore. Okay, we're not afraid <laughs> to admit it. That was the big thing about... You kids wouldn't understand, but we were really big into koosh balls. It got kind of erotic. You Only don't 90s it, kids okay? will get this one. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. And we're all, we've all pretty much agreed to not talk about it anymore. So, But hey, one thing we are going to talk about is our first game today, which is uh, kind of the first installment, sort of, in a long-running sports franchise made by EA. So why don't we talk about that? So it's uh, PGA Tour Golf. No, well, I gotta say, right off the bat, um, before we get into talking about the game, I love the like EA Sports Network logo that shows up at the beginning of this, where it just shows, like, a bunch of different sports as if it's, like, a sports, you know, TV network that's covering them. But it's not covering them. It's letting you play them through the magic of video games. Yeah, and then all of them get replaced with the one sport that you're playing. Yeah, they did that on a couple of things. I, I like that. I, it's a little bit loud, I think. It's definitely the loudest thing in this game. Yeah, yeah. 
We'll get to it. <laughs> PGA Tour Golf was originally released for the MS-DOS in 1990. It was developed by Sterling Silver Software, which was founded in 1988 by Dennis Coble and Lee Actor. I actually read a brief interview uh, on the Game Developers Research Institute where Actor talked about the company's work on Sonic Spinball, which was another one of their big claims to fame, I guess. Uh, apparently, Sonic Spinball was sort of a last-minute thing. Sega was like, we need you guys to make this. Sonic 3 isn't going to be out before the holidays. Please help us. So that holiday season in 1993, um, kids could look forward to Sonic Spinball in, in instead of their proper Sonic Yikes. Uh, you know, I think I would probably have rather just had a piece of coal in my stocking in that case, <laughs> but, you know, sorry folks, I know that there are people that like Sonic Spinball, but I, I think it's a bad game. Um, anyway, so Sterling Silver Software was renamed to Polygames in 1992. Yeah, they, they didn't do a whole lot other than a couple of these uh, sports games and uh, the aforementioned Sonic Spinball, which is kind of surprising since they developed something that would turn into a an incredibly long-running franchise. Yeah, I'm surprised that they weren't, like, the developers that kept doing this series, like, you know, in perpetuity, honestly. But yeah, um, EA would source this out to a number of different uh, studios, and of course the series would be renamed Tiger Woods PGA Tour in 1998, and would get renamed again in 2015 to Rory McIlroy's PGA Tour, and that would actually be the last installment of the series. Uh, EA actually lost the license to the PGA Tour after that, which was acquired by HB Studios, who incorporated it into their golf club series. So that's... I just sort of assumed that they were still making them, and I wasn't hearing about that, but apparently not. Yeah, you just assume that EA always has the monopoly on sports franchises. And I have to admit, it is pretty striking compared to, like, all of the other sports games that we've played so far to play one that does have like the full license to a sports organization and all of the like the specific commentators and named specific golf courses in this that are all ones from the actual PGA Tour. Though I guess that that YLI Country Club game did also have that specific course, but this just feels like much more extensive in some ways. Yeah, it does. The they've got about I want to say five courses, maybe maybe fewer. I can't remember now. Uh, but yeah, there are quite a few actual courses, and you also get little tips from actual golfers. Now, I don't know how much of this is actually out of those golfers' mouths and how much of this is just, hey, we license these guys, here's their picture, and here's some advice for this particular hole that you're about to play. But I actually found it a lot of fun. This is also the game that sort of introduced the triple-click method of swinging your club in which you have a meter, you hit the button once, or click if you're playing on PC, I guess, to start the meter moving, and you decide when you want it to stop. It'll stop between 0 and 100%. You have some information telling you potentially how far you could hit the ball with your selected club, provided that you don't hook or slice too badly. So you can kind of do a little bit of mental math, decide how forceful you want your swing to be. Then as the meter starts draining back towards zero again, you want to hit the button a third time as close as you can to zero. And going either too early or too late will cause the ball to hook or slice, which maybe you want to do in some cases. And that would be that would go on to be like a very widely used mechanic in golf games from this point forward. So, yeah, that is definitely a big deal. Yeah, I didn't know if I was going to like that as much as I liked YLI's sort of mini game where a red dot indicates where the club is going to come in contact with the ball. 
It's interesting. I think I actually preferred YLI's version. Like, I found that one a lot easier for me to get the results I wanted to out of the ball. I, I mean, I have played other golf games that use triple click method before. Um, so like I wasn't totally unused to it, but it, it did take longer for me to get my head around than I expected it to. But I think it does a lot right in terms of presenting the game of golf and like giving you the information you need, even though I do respect all the things that it does do right. I think that uh, honestly, I did kind of prefer both of the other golf games that we spent time with before to this one, just partially just because of like the aesthetics. I do think this one looks kind kind of drab. I got the hang of the mechanics of this a little bit faster, I think, than some of the other games that we've played. I didn't find reading the green quite as easy to do in this game as it was in some of the other games. It certainly wasn't bad, and I did like that you still get your kind of topographical indication of what everything is like when you're approaching the hole, when you're on the green, things like that. I think after my first couple of tries, I definitely was performing better in this game than I have on any golf game prior to it. I, I do like the little touches, like the, the golfers and all that. I do miss a lot of the just extra presentation that a game like Classics YLI Country Club had. While this game does have more golf courses, they're not mapped out in nearly as painstaking detail as the YLI course was in that game. Yeah, it makes everything feel a little bit more barren, and the lack of music, uh, with the exception of like the interstitial between holes, really makes everything feel very empty and, and in a way that I didn't care for very much. And I know that they're trying to sort of replicate the golf experience where everybody's supposed to be very, very quiet. And you can hear birds chirping and stuff, and that's a neat effect. But... It's it's a different approach. I, I'm not going to say that, like, it's intrinsically a bad one, but I also personally am not as big of a fan of it. You know, it's a video game, and I kind of want a little bit more of that video gamey presentation. It is a video game, and, and on that note, I feel like maybe I need to backpedal a little bit now because I know I said some things about video golf early on in this series. And I'm, I'm kind of feeling like now, you know, as for as much as I kind of stand by my arguments that golf is maybe the least analogous in video game form to its real world counterpart, that maybe that doesn't matter, that it is a video game. It's a different beast. I think that's cool, though. I think that's like a pretty profound thing that actually playing these golf games has sort of shown you a, a new side of what video game golf can, can be like as its own thing. Do you have anything else really that you want to say about it? Or do you want to try to, to find a place for this on the list at this point? No, I think that was about it. I'm, I'm a little bit torn on this one. I, I feel like... I think you've pretty solidly made the case for this playing better than the other golf games that we've we've played so far. My question would be what you think the split is between that and sort of like the, the presentational stuff. Yeah, that's kind of a hard line to draw because I really do like things about... Country Club YLI. So actually, we've got Hal's Hole-in-One there at the top. Yeah. I mean, do you think this this surpasses Hal's Hole-in-One? There's a pretty solid argument to be made that you, you had much more fun playing this. It, it might have the advantage of just, like, this is the now the third golf game I've played, and maybe I'm just more used to the mechanics in general, so that might have helped. But on the other hand, the sort of bare-bones presentation of this one may be a result of the fact that this was a port of a two-year-old game by now. And unlike Madden, this wasn't just the new version of PGA Tour. This was actually the 1990 version ported over, which, um, oddly enough, PGA Tour 2, which came out in 1992, only came out on the Genesis. 
this. So that's Weird. Kind of strange. I liked the mechanics of this. I liked how clearly the information about how far my club was going to hit it was displayed. Yeah, it, it's really a mixed bag because uh, there are things that I like about this game more than either of these two other golf games, but there's also a lot of things that I love about those other two golf games. So I don't know, maybe this one kind of goes nicely in the middle. Um, we've got Lagoon kind of sitting at number 22 between Howl's Hole in 1 at 21 and True Golf Classics Wildlife Country Club at 23. I mean, I would say that for what it's trying to do, this game certainly does play better than Lagoon. For as much as Lagoon ripped off East and then mucked with the formula in a way that made the whole thing worse, that's frustrating in a way that makes me want to put PGA Tour above it. Phrased like that, definitely, I can definitely see where you're coming from. So new number 22, then. Yeah, I think I feel good about that. PGA Tour Golf is our new number 22. It is kind of funny how these just kind of get grouped together like this. The baseball games are in a sort of similar scenario. And uh, hey, speaking of baseball... We've got Extra Innings, appropriate name, uh, because this is more baseball it's certainly more baseball so this is actually our 40th game wow and our fourth baseball game uh, so, so baseball now composes an entire 10 percent of the super nintendo library congratulations baseball people love you you did it baseball you, did you it. made it still waiting for a game with any sort of licenses other than like a single player's endorsement yeah right? yeah that's definitely and, true uh, we're gonna keep waiting because this game ain't it <laughs> this game is not it this game has actually uh no license at all from any any players or teams or leagues or anything so this game was developed by sting entertainment which has a handful of kind of lesser known franchises under the belt one that stuck out to me was the only one i recognized actually was the evolution series of rpgs that came out on the sega dreamcast they did those they did a series uh called baroque uh, which was an extremely difficult uh, action RPG series. I think it actually had some kind of like early roguelike elements. I mean, not, not as early as Rogue, I guess. But I mean, know. kind of early for the, the 2000s rebirth of this stuff. Of, of roguelites. Roguelites. So th those games, honestly, if they brought them back now, would probably do a lot better. Yeah, they did those. They did a game called uh, Knights in the Nightmare, which was sort of a weird combination of like a shmup and a... Uh, dungeon crawler RPG uh, that was sort of loosely connected to some other games. So they've done they've done some interesting stuff like within the last couple of decades for sure. Before they did any and all of that stuff, they made this baseball game, which was released in America by uh, Sony ImageSoft. Uh, we actually have two Sony ImageSoft games to play today. Wanting to say, I think that either this game or the other game by Sony ImageSoft was actually published by Sony Music in Japan, which seems Yeah, that's weird. interesting. You know, we're talking a, a fair bit about, like, the publisher and the developer instead of the game, because there's not, honestly, a ton to say about this game. This game is definitely in the same vein as, as most of the other baseball games we've played. It has a few different modes. You know, there's a pennant mode, a single game mode. You can customize a team completely, which is kind of a cool thing. Yeah, you can actually customize two teams. Well, that is pretty cool. And the presentation is good, but as far as how it plays, this is pretty similar to a lot of the other baseball games we've we've played on on for the show so far. One thing I do kind of appreciate after having played several of those other games is that this one solves the the issue of him having to figure out like which outfielder should be under your control by just having them all move in unison. 
when you move one of them, which there's pluses and minuses to that. But honestly, I kind of appreciated that additional simplicity to that aspect of the game. For the most part, though, there's not not really a ton to differentiate this one. Yeah, it's got modes that we've come to expect from baseball games at this point. You got your typical one and two player modes. You've got editable custom teams. You've got your watch mode. You've got your pennant race, which simulates a full season. Nothing we haven't seen out of most of the other baseball games that we've already looked at on the system. It's got some really nice presentation to it. There's cute chibi players and cheerleaders that we see in some of the interstitials. And when someone hits a home run, it it does put a little bit more care into its presentation, which I kind of like. The animation for the pitchers and batters is honestly really nice in this one. Uh, I really like that aspect of it because that's one of the main things you're going to be seeing when you play this game. I am starting to get a bit of a taste for what I feel like is like satisfying in baseball games of this vintage. There's there's things about this that I'm kind of settling into when whenever we play another baseball game that I think is good because it does give me a better sense of like what minute differences there are between them, but yeah, I still don't know that I think that anybody has quite cracked the code on how to make a really satisfying baseball game. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. It sounds like you're warming up to video baseball a little bit in a way that I am just absolutely not. I'm, I still just feel completely stumped by it. And I, I think one problem I do have, which which is a me problem, is the fact that I just cannot rewire my brain to think of when my outfielder has a ball that I need to hit up on the D-pad to throw the second because that just seems so unintuitive to me. Like, why would I hit up to throw the ball down that it doesn't work and i just i cannot get my brain to think of it any no that's way. fair i i'd say i'm at about half and half on that personally but yeah this game does feature an option called I think, cold game which is basically just implementing a mercy rule in which it'll call a game early if a team is a certain number of runs ahead. And I think you can actually set how many runs that is. That actually did happen to me. It was the very first game I had played in this one, and uh, it ended after the end of the first inning. Yikes. Yeah, big yikes. Not not my best. Uh, my fans would no longer be my fans after that if I was in charge of a real baseball team. Yeah, you know, this game is, I, I think I'd say it's all right. It's not the best baseball game we've played. It's also not the worst one. Yeah, definitely not. Um, And while I don't think it has nearly the amount of features that Super Baseball Simulator 1000 had, uh, it does do a few cool things. It's got the aforementioned mercy rule. So the game also features something called automatic fielding in which it sort of handles the fielding for you, but not quite. I didn't find it extremely helpful. It, It looked like the players were fielding the ball on their own, but they weren't throwing it once they had it, and they still were waiting for me to input a command to throw, which was my whole problem, as I just described. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. And I still think that the the outfielders and all the players in the field just move so slowly that it's kind of frustrating. I feel like the outfielders actually move kind of especially slowly in this one. Like, that did like really kind of bother me in a way that it hasn't in all of the baseball games we've played before. You know, I wouldn't really say that this one, aside from having some fun graphics really, and some okay music really stands out all that much. Do we want to think about uh, where this goes on the list? Yeah, let's do that. So I'm going to say this does go above super bases loaded in the same way that Nolan Ryan's baseball was kind of like easily identifiable as a better baseball game. 
I'm going to say probably I do actually think this is better than Nolan Ryan's baseball, just because I think this one does give you kind of more options. And I do think that uh, the, the look of it is more appealing. Yeah, I, I would put this above Nolan Ryan's based on the look alone. So, yeah. So the next one we have up here is D-Force. Yeah, we got D-Force at number 29. Is there an argument that we could make for this being better than D-Force that we couldn't also have made about Nolan Ryan's baseball? I think this game looks a lot nicer. And I, think, I remember D-Force being a pretty plain-looking it, game. It is a pretty plain-looking game. I think presentationally, this one comes together better as like a package overall than d-force did yeah this one this one i think i think i would put this above d-force then yeah but i don't think i would put it above super baseball simulator just because of the wealth of options at this point i think makes super baseball simulator the most robust of the baseball options up at this point which i still don't think is great no i i certainly agree with that i think that that Super Baseball Simulator is is still the one to beat in, in this genre. So it sounds like Extra Innings is going to be our new number 29. All right. So uh, cracking that top 30, Extra Innings. And now, like you said, we've got 40 games on the list, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. It's a nice round number. It's a baker's dozen. Yes, that's what that phrase means. I'm pretty sure. All right. Well, uh, that does it for sports today. So I guess, um, hey, we've had the news. We've had sports. Now it's time for the weather. It's raining lemmings. Hallelujah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, lemmings. This is uh, this is an interesting one because this game was very ubiquitous back in the early 90s. I remember seeing it everywhere, and I have never played one of these ever before now. Have you? No, me either, actually. The closest I ever played to it is a, a game that we'll, we'll play not too long from now called Krusty's Super Fun House, which is sort of like the opposite of Lemmings, where you're basically like leading a bunch of mice uh, to their deaths. Uh, whereas in this one, you're kind of doing the opposite. It's sort of kind of like a, a predecessor to real-time strategy games in some ways. And came from a place I didn't really expect. Yeah, this was uh, originally developed in 1991 by DMA Design, which is a studio that was founded in 1987 in Dundee, Scotland, by David Jones, who was also the creator of Lemmings. DMA Design would go through all sorts of acquisitions and name changes before eventually becoming Rockstar North in 2002. Yeah, and actually the two creative leads on this game were uh, some of the original creators of the very first Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, that's right. Um, who was the other? This was based on, uh, I want to say, like, I, I think I read it was based on an animation by someone else whose name escapes me right now. Hey everyone, just cutting in to say that the artist's name I couldn't remember there was Lemmings co-creator Mike Daly. Pretty important guy in the creation of this game, so I wanted to make sure that that detail didn't get left out. Back to the show. But he was kind of just messing around in a a graphics program, basically, and made figures that were so appealing that they decided, you know, what can we do with these? Lemmings is uh, basically a game where you're trying to help a a stream of lemmings, as the name implies, survive their trip from one part of a map to another. There's sort of an an entry point that they sort of spawn into the level from, and then uh, usually a bunch of hazards or something where they're, or a place where they're kind of trapped. And then at the end of it, a door that you have to lead them to. And uh, they do a, a bunch of different 
permutations of this idea by essentially giving you a a certain number of roles that you can assign the different lemmings to uh, that that will make them able to survive specific hazards. So uh, one of the very first levels, for example, uh, is uh, the lemmings are walking towards a cliff. Uh, you have to help them survive to the bottom of the cliff so that they can get to the door there. So you have to assign them all the uh, the the role of uh, floaters, which will give them all little uh, umbrellas that will help them float safely down. Kind of the, the very simplest version of this, you ultimately end up needing to combine different limbing jobs and position them in certain ways so that they'll avoid hazards and get each other through hazards. And uh, it's it's I think honestly just a very clever ever designed for a game that I, I can absolutely see why this was such a big deal when it came out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that the point and click nature of the game uh, makes it a real shame that this game came out before the Super Nintendo mouse did. But I, I found the D-pad to work well enough, though, though you had a little bit of trouble with it, I think you were telling me. It wrong-footed me a few times. Sometimes I would end up moving the the selector for the, the different jobs while I was trying to give a lemming a job. Uh, the buttons are kind of mapped in a way that just just felt a little weird to me. And I, I definitely lost a couple of levels that where I knew what to do, but just couldn't quite get my lemmings to do those things in the amount of time that I had. Part of the reason I avoided this game as a kid was that anytime the game would be described to me or when I would see a thing in Nintendo Power about how it works, it always seemed really, really complex to the point that like it just really intimidated me. But what kind of struck me about this game is actually how well everything's laid out. This game has a great visual language to it where you've got little pictures of Lemmings doing a specific job in the menu that's very easy to read and very clear just by looking at it what each one does. And you've got a good idea of what's going to happen when you assign a Lemming a certain job. It's it's really intuitive uh, in a way. It's like immediately obvious how things work, which is awesome. And even like, despite the fact that the lemmings themselves are very, very small sprites, they still animate in a way that's very expressive. I love how they're animated. Like it seems very fluid and you get a real sense of character out of them, uh, which is important because you do kind of want the game to make you feel bad. if The lemmings die on your watch. The presentation is like you said, kind of simple, but it's very readable and it has a lot of character to it. And yeah, it all just it all just sort of comes together in a way that that feels really good. A little bit more about the flow of the game. So each level you're assigned a certain percentage of lemmings that you have to get to the goal in order to pass that level. And each level has a different number of lemmings that it's going to throw at you. I also appreciated how the game lets you kind of, to some extent, control how often the lemmings are being added to the play field. Uh, For example, if you've already kind of got your lemmings into a position where all of them that come through the hatch that starts the level are going to be able to get to the goal without any more instruction from you. 
then you can actually up the amount of lemmings that are falling through the hatch to get the level finished faster. I really appreciated those little quality of life things in there. And also, it gives you the option, if you find yourself in a completely unwinnable state, to just blow all of your lemmings up and start the level over Which is again. weirdly satisfying in its own way, I have to admit. <laughs> like, they explode into, like, I... a bunch of little particles, and I feel like a monster when I do it, but it's like, oh, it's a well fireworks display <laughs> yeah. yeah just a little bit and then the uh the, the puzzle aspects of the game come into play not just from needing to assign certain lemmings jobs to guide the rest of the lemmings through the level but also in the fact that you have a limited number of times you can assign a certain job in each level so for example if you say need a blocker to prevent lemmings from falling off a cliff but you've run out of blocker assignments then there's nothing you can do your little lemmings are just going to fall off those cliffs and and possibly perish uh so it's really neat i didn't play many i didn't really play any of the more difficult levels and i can definitely see how this game could get incredibly challenging but the few fun levels that i played were really really enjoyable i think this game just oozes charm i really enjoyed yeah, it yeah me too me too um i just yeah i i honestly like aside from from having a few issues with using a controller to play this game i really don't have anything bad to say about this like i think it's really cool and uh i i got really really engaged with it really quickly this one's a bit hard to rank because i don't know if we've got any other puzzle like is this our first proper puzzle puzzle game on the it's, system it, yeah I, I think it is honestly like unless you want to consider sim city sim city would I, I guess be the closest comparison to this but it's not really quite the same kind of thing and honestly like i'm not opposed to starting as high as sim city and kind of opening the debate there i think that they are actually pretty good comparison pieces because you know they're both games that originated on the pc uh they both require you to do a very different sort of thinking than many other games on the system and they've both had to kind of grapple with uh, the change in control system. And, and I think that both of these games did a very good job of making their systems very intuitive. I feel like I think Lemmings does a slightly better job, but I also feel like it maybe had a lot less to do than SimCity That's did. probably true. There's so much like interface stuff you have to deal with in SimCity. Whereas with, with Lemmings, you know, you're, you're really kind of doing a, a pretty select number of things in a pretty confined space so there's probably some solid arguments to be made for either one of these but i think lemmings is is a a little better suited to the controller than SimCity was i i think i like lemmings a bit better than SimCity. i i think i would put lemmings above it would you yeah i would and honestly i think like i like f-zero but i think they're very different games yeah i i think like an hour in with f-zero though i'm i'm maybe a little bit tired of it. I'm like, okay, I've, I've seen this before. Whereas with lemmings, I probably wouldn't even know that an hour had passed. Yeah. And I think that there's more that can be sort of done with the Sim city with, with the, the lemmings sort of game design, as far as like giving you, giving you different sort of micro experiences within it than you could with, with F zero. So yeah, I would say, I would say this, this probably goes above that. Yeah. And honestly, I kind of think you could make the same argument with this game against Super Off-Road, really. Yeah. And then next up, we've got Darius Twin. And, you know, I don't even think we talked about the fact that I believe there's a two-player mode in this game, right? Oh, there is. Yeah, there is. It's uh, it's it's kind of like a weird, passive, competitive two-player two mode. Yeah, which, in a way, is very surprising to me. Sometimes when I was nuking all of my lemmings to start a level over, if there were a lot of lemmings on the screen, the game would really slow to a crawl. I can't imagine... 
how well the game holds up with two screen. You know, yeah, like, with that's, a dual that's screen. a good question. Yeah. Anyway, I just bring that up because I guess my big point of comparison with Darius Twin would be the fact that you've got a two player co-op there. But Lemmings does have a two player competitive mode as well. So I don't know. What do, what do you think about this matchup? OK, here's what I'll say. I, I think probably Darius Twin is a better game than this, if only because it feels 100 percent comfortable on the Super Nintendo in a way that this doesn't quite for me. I could probably spend a lot of time with Lemmings and get very used to the way it controls. But Darius Twin, one of the things that impressed me so much about it is just how much better it was at a a sort of pretty hectic and scrolling shooter on a system that has had real trouble with that before. You know, I mean, that's kind of a technical thing. And I don't know that, honestly, that is enough to put it above Lemmings because Lemmings is just pure fun. I, I think I'm talking myself into it. I, I would put Lemmings above Darius, I think. I definitely don't think it quite reaches the heights of UN Squadron. No, I I agree with that. I, I think UN Squadron is the ceiling for this, but I do think that probably Lemmings should split up UN Squadron and Darius Twin in the middle of our top 10 here. Yeah, honestly, as we were going up the list, that's kind of where I was thinking it belonged to. So... If, if that is the conclusion you have come to completely on your own, I didn't even need to try to change your mind because I thought I was going to need to start saying, well, but Lemmings... It's just it- good. It's just a really good game, and there is nothing else like it on the Super Nintendo right now. So I guess our new number six, then, is going to be right. Lemmings. I don't know that I would have really expected that before we played it for the show, but I think it deserves to be there, for sure. Yeah, no argument for me. I, I definitely think Lemmings earned that. Well, that being said, we have one more game to get to today. We do. One more game, another platform game, a little bit puzzly, but not quite. made by Game Freak, uh, the people that you probably are more familiar with for their, uh, you know, you might have heard of this. It's it's not the most famous series, but they've been around. Uh, it's called Pokemon. They made Pokemon. I, I'd be amazed if any of our listeners have heard of Pokemon. It, it's a real niche title. But uh, yeah. Game Freak does make other games. They've actually made a lot of other games, and this is one of their early ones. Yeah, this was their second one, in fact. Uh, their first being 1989's Mendel Palace for the NES. Man, this game has an interesting list of people who worked on it. The music for this game was in part done by Akira Yamaoka, who is uh, probably more famous as both the composer and the the creator of the Silent Hill game series. Cannot honestly think of a game more different from Silent Hill than than this one. But the director of this uh, is actually also the director of the uh the the pokemon games the, the the creator of pokemon rather okay satoshi tajiri yes yeah yeah and um given all of that uh i really wish i liked this game more given the talent here and what they would go on to do in the future yeah it's surprising that this is such a kind of mediocre game honestly i don't, I don't even know if i would call it mediocre let me set the scene for you, because the game absolutely will not do that. Especially not in America, for sure. The game apparently stars Jerry, who is the son of the late King Jeffrey of Kyler... I don't, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, but, uh, however, um, he was set to inherit the throne 
but his younger brother, Tom, and yes, they named the characters in this game Tom and Jerry, uh, got jealous and kidnapped his wife and turned him, Jerry, into a ball of goo. You could say that he got jealous, so he made Jerry jellious. Oh, yeah. Tom was jelly, so he made his brother jelly. That's right. That's that's we will be here all week, folks. Tip your waitress. Uh, <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. So absolutely none of that matters because the game is not interested in telling you that. Yeah, it plops you into this like kind of it, kind of like a weird film strip presentation, which has nothing to do with anything. What I is- love this also because yeah, this is a side-scrolling platform game. I'm not sure if we said that, but one of the things you can do in this game as you go through the levels is collect the letters Jerry in each stage. And the game never tells you that that's your character's name. Uh, so it's just like, why am I collecting Jerry? Like, what is that? I-, I think that the game apparently did have more in the way of, like, story visible in the game in Japan. But that was all cut out when they moved the game over here. And I don't know that that really would have made the game better. But it does make the game a lot weirder in some ways that none of that is here. So, yeah, you're Jerry, you're a blob of goo, and you're going through these levels that I would say the closest thing that I could compare them to would probably be, like, not really Mario World levels, but maybe more like American Super Mario Bros. 2. These kind of big stages that kind of change scrolling vertically and horizontally with lots of rooms to go in and out of. The the level design gets much more complicated as you go along, like, past the first few levels. Like, there's a lot of kind of, like, looping pathways and, like, different, like, doors you can go into that have, like, secrets in them and stuff. Yeah, I did get into a second level in which you squeeze through sewer pipes as your little blob Jerry, and that was kind of neat, I guess. Like, there's a level later on where you can get a green seed from one of the little, like, plant bulbs that you can squash for power-ups. And then if you go to another part of the level and, like, lay that down, it makes a beanstalk that you can go up to to get one of the Jerry letters that you could never reach otherwise so it does have quite a bit of like fairly involved level design none of that's visible like in the first few stages of the game and honestly the bad problem here is that the game is not fun or intuitive to play to the point where i can't really imagine getting very far in this game yeah you know it's a real i didn't even know that thing about like the seed and the beanstalk that you were talking about because i didn't make it that far it it almost seems like they were trying to go for like a puzzle platformer almost in the vein of like a fantastic dizzy in that moment which would have suited this game better yeah it would have definitely suited this game better because this game does try to be a little bit actiony the game is pretty sluggish to control and like we said pretty unintuitive to control uh in a way that really doesn't benefit that kind of design at all yeah i I think it just straight up tries to be an action platformer and it's a bad one Holding down one button will cause Jerry to become a slightly lighter shade of blue. And what this is supposed to indicate to you is that in this state, he can cling to walls and climb up walls and even climb on ceilings. It's not really obvious just by looking at the sprite. And this is going to be a problem that uh, is is going to be kind of persistent. The game's visual language here is pretty poor. It does a bad job of explaining what things are visually. A similar problem is Jerry's attacks. By pressing up or down on the D-pad, he will either stretch out uh, to kind of make himself taller 
or flatten himself out like a little puddle. And these are actually meant to be attacks. They super don't look like attacks. They don't read as that at all. Exactly. They don't look like attacks. And the other problem with them is, from what I could tell, if you're just in that state, enemies still hit you and still do damage to you. Like, you have to actually hit them as you're transforming. Is that what you found, or was this just a weird thing for me? Yeah, no, that that definitely is how it felt to me as well. Uh, You know, I don't get why that would be the case but that definitely does seem to be how they designed this yeah it's either that or or maybe like certain enemies are only affected by certain moves i couldn't tell because again none of that is really made obvious and i just feel like this game what it needed was a proper attack button and an animation that looks like some kind of attack the the thing that is most clearly an attack that you can do is you can get these like consumable projectiles basically um they're like limited number that you can throw at enemies and that pretty clearly reads as an attack. The problem with that to me is that that means that that felt like the way to attack things, even though that's really kind of just like a secondary thing. And actually, the main way you're supposed to defeat enemies is by using your squashing and stretching power. I really wish that there was just a proper attack button and that what enemies can be attacked by what was made more clear through the game itself. I also wish that the state in which he can stick to walls was something you didn't have to hold down, but was maybe just like, you can toggle that state on and off with the press of a button. I don't get that either, because that is one of the main game's main mechanics, and I honestly didn't even notice the thing about him turning a lighter shade of blue. I just, you know, eventually figured out that if I held down a button, I could stick to surfaces, basically. There's other stuff in this game that's also badly thought out. Like, later on in the game, you can get an iron ball to put inside you that makes you really heavy. You can also get a jump power-up that is like this kind of feather that goes inside you that makes you jump really high. But if you then collect like a health power-up while you have one of those, that goes away. Really weird design choices like that are kind of throughout this game. Again, going back to the Beanstalk thing you were talking about, I feel like a more experienced team looks at something like that and says, wait a minute, okay, we've got a character who can absorb items and carry them from one place to another maybe this is our game yeah right maybe that should be the core of the game yeah making it more like a fantastic dizzy type of puzzle platformer i think the world that they've built here it would be more conducive to a mechanic like that i think that would be more fun than this really poor attacking mechanic the game feels very sluggish to play as well in a way that doesn't mitigate any of that stuff like i feel like there were definitely times where this game just like dropped inputs from me i missed jumps or like I I didn't manage to do what I wanted to do just because the game just sort of ate my input. There's just nothing that that really helps this game feel better to play. Which is a shame because I do think that this game, especially later on, has pretty decent level design. It just, none of that's even going to be fun if it's not fun to actually move your character through that. So I said at the top of this section that this game was mediocre. And I mean that in kind of an unusual way here where like, Not that this game is kind of blah or whatever. This game has, like, a split between good elements and bad elements. Like, it's got decent level design and, I think, honestly, pretty good music. But it also has really, really ugly sort of characterless graphics and awful controls. I really didn't enjoy my time with this. And hearing, you know, again, just some of the other ideas that were implemented here just really make me feel like, oh, this could have been something good. Yeah, That's a shame. Let's, I guess, uh, figure out where this goes on our list, then. 
Yeah, this is even a hard one to kind of find a starting point for, because I feel like where I want to start is Super Ghouls and Ghosts, because they're both platformers that I don't care for very much, though that feels harsh, because I... It's tough to compare them, because I think Ghouls and Ghosts, Super Ghouls and Ghosts is, I think, largely bad because of just how hostile it is to the player, whereas this, this feels like, you know, they wanted to make a game that I would be on board with, but they didn't really manage it. On balance, though, I got you know, probably more enjoyment out of playing Smart Ball than I got out of playing Super Goals and Ghosts. I definitely made more progress. So. Yeah, that's true. But I I can't really say that I think it's like a like a, a great game. Well, I mean, I guess maybe I'm feeling a little more generous towards Smart Ball because it feels like better intentioned than Super Goals and Ghosts. I do think there's stuff in this game that's pretty... That's pretty good. Um, I just don't think the game as a whole comes together as as anything that's uh, up up to the quality of the sum of its best parts. Let's say. So, do we think this goes above Super Ghouls and Ghosts, though? Or, or... I think probably, yeah, okay. I would say so. Next up on the list, we've got the Chess Master at thirty four. I mean, the Chess Master does everything it needs to do, as we've said many times now. But it's it's also only trying to do the one thing, you know. So. I'm going to look a little further up, honestly. DeForce had some interesting ideas. It's real reasonably okay. It's reasonably enjoyable to play, but it's not what I would call, you know, like a standout experience. I would say Smart Ball is, you know, more ambitious than DeForce was. Also that I don't think it's quite as enjoyable to play as DeForce. Like, maybe in, like, a conceptual level, maybe Smart Ball is more ambitious, but, like, on a technical level, I'm not sure if I would say it's more ambitious. I don't know. But we, we are not game developers, you know, not, not to completely armchair develop here, because we do acknowledge making games is not easy. <laughs> does this feel like a decent point of comparison for you, though? It, no, it does. It absolutely does. I'm just, I'm struggling with whether this goes above or below it. I, I think that DeForce, at the very least, does manage to be some fun as far as being like a, a, a scrolling shooter goes. I think I'm actually on board with that because I'm looking at what's above and below D-Force, which is currently number 31. You know, they're both baseball games. I don't see Smart Ball going above extra innings, but honestly, I could see it maybe not even going above Nolan Ryan's baseball at number 32. Either. I agree with that. Uh, I think Nolan Ryan's baseball was was way more competently designed than than smart ball do you think that sounds good that it, it kind of splits up that double feature of baseball games there and goes between nolan ryan and super bases loaded what would you say is the reason it belongs above super bases loaded you know what i don't think i have a reason really i don't think i have a reason oh wow I, I wasn't expecting that i was expecting just like any reason and then i was gonna say okay that sounds good i thought i had something there I mean, I, here's the thing. I would say that probably the music in Super Bowl is actually better than any single game element in Super Bases Loaded, but it also doesn't sound like it should be the music for this game. Like, it sounds like it should be <laughs> the music for, like, an RPG, you know? Yeah. Like, it feels yeah. really weirdly out of place here, but on its own, it's good. That would be my argument, but I also think that making that argument makes me want to put it below Super Bases Loaded, because that's not really a recommendation for this game. Honestly, I think I'm okay with it being above Chess Master, just because, come on, it's it's chess. It's just chess, and it is like the, the barest presentation you could have possibly done for chess, and you did it 
way to go, but I don't know if you get much more kudos than that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I guess I <laughs> I got us up to a, a higher point than than got it than we got <laughs> just basically all the way back down to exactly where we were before. So that's that's fun. Um, it is all good. Um, I yeah, I, I think I'm okay with this being the new number 34. If that's where you're good, yes, I I think that is a good place for it. All right, Super Ball, you're on the list. Congratulations, uh, Smart Ball. Smart Ball. Man, uh, that's a bad sign. I can't even remember the name of the game we're playing. It's not a terribly inspired name, is it? Uh, this was called uh, Jerry Boy, I think. In is that correct in Japan? Yeah, this was. I think this. Yeah, this was called Jerry Boy in Japan. There was a canceled sequel to this that would have, I think, been on the PlayStation. It's Smart Ball here, and uh, I'm gonna say that's a bad name for a game. And it just slides right out of my brain every time I hear it. And honestly, this game probably will too. Five episodes from now, we do not even remember what this was the more games we put on the list the harder it will be to keep all of them like in our minds at the same time so Mm -hmm. that being said what are we going to be adding to this list next time we're going to be looking at the adams family wwf super wrestlemania contra 3 the alien wars and uh oh hey i think i mentioned this earlier super adventure island actually two games that we mentioned elsewhere in this episode because I just mentioned Contra 3 as well, not realizing that it was going to be in our very next episode. I guess that's going to do it for this one. I think so. I, I feel pretty good about this. we got 42 games on the list right now. And uh, yep. Anyway, folks, thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Steampunk Lake. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. For more of our content, check out honestpiranha.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to... Extra innings. Play ball.